From high above First Street South in third place, Minneapolis, this is Nice Games Club, the show where nice game devs talk gaming and game development. I'm Alan Burns Johnson, and I make nice games. I'm Steve McGregor, and I make nice games. And I'm Martha Croy, I too make nice games. For this week's episode, our topics are game pads and nature in games. And so, if everyone's ready, let's start. Okay, explain to me why did I have to say third place? <laughs> I just type it in there, Mark, and you read it. <laughs> Listener, that's true. It was just in front of me, and I had to say it. It's the it's nice game's law. <laughs> As mentioned in a previous episode, what Steven says. <laughs> yes. Okay, but why? why what's, what does no, this mean? actually, though. Let's explain this, because it needs an explanation. Um, we had to mention third place, because St. Paul is in second place. Yes. Uh-huh. So we just had to... Leave it to St. Paul to get that excited about second place. <laughs> First place is DC. Uh-huh. And I don't think that's even... And that's the, like a different league. What's like, the category why, we're talking about? Oh, best park system in the country. Oh, so Minneapolis for a long time, was, uh, in the various places that do these rankings, which is semi to totally unofficial. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. Minneapolis ranked number one in many of these surveys of best park systems in the country. Yeah, I don't think you were saying how unofficial it was when Minneapolis was number two. <laughs> Um, I don't recall you ever bringing that up. Uh-huh. Right, right. Well, no, it was number one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but now it's in a very, very distant third place. Oh, so. very distant? Very distant. <laughs> well, the thing is, like, a lot of the, be fair. Oh, no, he's looking at the, <laughs> the website. Yeah, Mark is, don't Mark is reading this. But what is, the truth is, a lot of these cities that are in, like, the top 10 for best park system, best urban park system in the country, like, trade spots and shuffle around, it's, like, the same top five or top yeah. 10. Yeah. For like decades. <laughs> and right now in the 2021 rankings, Washington, D.C. is first. I don't know. Just, I don't know that counts. It's like cheating. Yeah. Right. You, like they have a lot of things that maybe give it an unfair advantage. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like I think in 2020 and prior to that, it was like Minneapolis 1 and St. Paul 2. Mm-hmm. And then in 2020, it was Minneapolis 2 and St. Paul 3. Well, now it's St. Paul 2 and Minneapolis 3. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, I'm looking at this data now. Actually, the website is quite interesting and, w- and well presented. Oh. Um, it's the the Trust for Public Land. Um, oh. They rank it on five different uh, categories, access, acreage, investment, amenities, and equity. And oh. this is why Minneapolis fell to third. It, uh, it, this equity category is now much bigger weight, mm. um, which is just about like how many uh, communities of color live within have the access that the general population has, right? Oh. It's no longer just average amongst all residents. Okay. Um, so, uh, I, I mean, that's not good news for Minneapolis, but it's really good that that's something that they're focusing on because yeah. that the thing about public land is like equity is a really important part mm-hmm. of public land. So, yeah. like, you know, I'm like Minneapolis pride or whatever, but like, but it's really great that this is now part of the calculation. Mm-hmm. However imprecise it might ultimately be uh-huh okay um, <laughs> no yeah no you're, you're right though <laughs> yeah well it's a it's a point of pride for both cities yeah M- minneapolis has a history of redlining like a lot of midwestern cities do mm. it's interesting to see that that history shines through what is otherwise like a 98 percent uh a laudable park system the yeah. fact that that's so, that's that's right that's the way you should be calculating these things it's not just uh you know like counting up what it is but also how it can be used right yeah cool. what it means yeah. Not just what it is, but what it means. Anyway, we'll bring that back later because the topic I want to talk about today, which will be second, uh, is about nature in games. Summer games are quick. Did y'all did y'all watch some of the, the speed runs? I don't like watching on Twitch. Oh yeah. I always watch on YouTube later, which mm-hmm. is kind of a bummer because it means I don't get to see it live when people are 
talking about it on Twitter. I just don't enjoy uh, Twitch's interface. I sure. watch Twitch in other way, uh, context. I don't know. I like. I also like to pause and rewind five minutes. Then you just yeah. can't do that on a live. That's true. Thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I did watch. Uh, I've watched a couple of things. But yeah. Yeah, I'm still two days behind everybody else. Oh my goodness, there were so many hype things. There's a Paper Mario speed run. Mm-hmm. Mark, you should definitely check. This I out. did watch this. You one. did see. Okay. Yeah. yeah there's a Paper Mario speed run, but they didn't play Paper Mario first. They first played um, Zelda Ocarina of Time for like 20 minutes. For like 20. <laughs> yeah. They like played through a bunch of it. They they played it so they could manipulate the data in that game so that some of the data would go into the the, the n64 expansion pack because i think both of the games do not utilize the expansion pack or something like that. i didn't fully mm-hmm. understand the entire ex- explanation but they went on there and they did that and then like they played up to the get the data under the expansion pack and then they they did the stop and swap you know from like um um banjo kazooie yeah, yeah. Hmm. like they took out, out ocarina of time put in paper mario then they played while paper- leaving the console on yes while leaving the console on then they played Paper Mario for a while until they got to a point where they could crash the game. And so they crashed the game in a certain way so that like when you opened it up again, it would just lead them right away to the end of the game. Oh, that's wild. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I, I, you should watch the speed run because I don't know if I'm doing the explanation just. But it was, this is definitely a situation where reading up, maybe I'm putting some cold water on this. Mm. Reading about how this is done is actually quite a bit more interesting than watching it. It depends. Because <laughs> because uh, otherwise it is just 20 minutes of, of, of Ocarina of Time. Yeah. And then there's like five seconds of where interesting things happen. Yeah. And then the, they swap out the cartridge and then playing through Paper Mario for a while. And then five seconds where they crash it and then back to title screen and then rate to credits yeah it's all very fascinating but i feel like your description is kind of like kind of it you know well, I, I mean well in the moment because I, I had watched it live in yeah. the moment i was like why why are you in ocarina of time why are you doing this <laughs> yeah so that, the, the that commentators did do a really good job of like presenting it and making sure yeah. that those big sections where we were just playing the game yeah. weren't, mm-hmm. weren't boring they were like so it was it was it's an entertaining watch i guess mm-hmm. uh on its own but i think it just for the, the speed running is interesting sometimes sometimes it's just interesting to watch people do high level play yeah where they like get something really interesting and you can it's visualized very well yeah and other times you rely on the people describing what's happening to be impressed with the research that went into doing it yeah unless what you see, and what you see on the screen is not particularly that thrilling yeah that's true um yeah and, they will they'll, like they'll sometimes go like this is a super intense trick nobody can pull this off yeah. and then they pull it off and it looks just as intense as every other trick they do yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like i it's hard for me to appreciate yeah. that i get that yeah. i do also like sometimes they'll say like this looks complicated but it's very easy yeah <laughs> <laughs> like, it'll be the other way around too yeah that context looks- is important and i think that yeah, when you're yeah. doing speed running like um that's something that's always top of mind uh, i think that's a, one of those skills that like a lot of speedrunners have is to is they do a really good job of like mm-hmm. explaining it to people who don't know anything about this have never played yeah. the game or sped run it or anything so yeah 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 and you know they based a lot of money this year too they uh i ended up staying up really late last night and watching the yeah. Last yeah it was something like uh they always do a good job mm-hmm. raising all the money. It's always for a good cause. So, cool. So. One thing that we were talking about off mic, Dale and I watched the GeoGuessr. Yeah, speed that run. one was wild too. That one was really fun because mm-hmm. it's just it's just watching someone play really well. There's yeah. no glitches yeah. involved. Yeah. yeah. And then Dale, uh, Dale had never seen GeoGuessr before, but now and she's in the other room currently playing. Yeah. <laughs> Love that game. Yeah. And anyone who knows Dale from her the podcast she does, Felix drags Dale through the Marvel Universe, knows that one of the things she talks about on that show is geography. Uh huh. And so. It, it's one of her uh, prime interests and so GeoGuessr is the game for her and yeah we watched the speed run where this person they had 30 minutes and they had yeah. t- uh, five rounds just over five minutes per round and they had to get it perfect dead on right? wow like, to, like within 100 meters I think as we get the full uh, like oh wow that's super impressive uh, uh, and Dale is essentially playing at that level now yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like they drop us in the middle of somewhere and they're like oh this looks sort of northeast and Dale's like no I think it's Alaska 
And then like three minutes later, she got it within 15 meters. That's <laughs> it's like incredible. <laughs> yeah. That's monstrous. Yeah. Wow. I mean, a lot of it relies on like what you know already and like mm-hmm. the, it's the whole world, you know? Yep. I yep. like to play GeoGuessr by researching. I like mm-hmm. to. I like, you know, I like to have a second browser window open. That's not how purists like to play, but that's a lot of fun. Yeah. Because then it's not really relying on your trivial knowledge of a place or knowing what the road signs are there. Um, and then you get to do a lot of learning. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I started a new job. Hey. Woo. <laughs> uh, I think I talked about this a while ago that like I had been applying for a new position at Future Club and I got the job. Well, this As- is now the first episode we've recorded since you started that job. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Um, And I've been doing it for about well technically two weeks the week before fourth of july yeah you started on july 1st like it was a like we were moving into an apartment yeah (laughs) like not on the not on a certain monday yeah (laughs) um i mean but like it's been cool um it's really fascinating to work with uh these people because like it's like you know it's a different environment Mm -hmm. Um, and i'm the only programmer at the moment and i'm enjoying i'm enjoying the work um, I, uh, I'll, I'll talk about like what I guess what I'm working on in the future. It's, but right now it's, there's design docs and you're just starting to prototype yep. now. And so there's, it's very early, which is, yeah, which is yeah. like, that's some of the funnest time of game development mm-hmm. is like getting it down on paper. Or yeah. Whatever, I've kind know? of been working on it like a game jam because yeah. I've been like, well, not like, I'm not like crunching, but like I've been, um, um, uh, just like trying to get the prototype and stuff in there quick. So that yeah. they, cause they've had this idea in their head for a while and I want them to be able to play it now. Mm-hmm. Well, and you, you bring some of your like playtest early often ideology to the team too. Yep. And it's the this is the earliest it gets, so you're uh, they got you at the right time. To, yeah. So you don't they're not going to get stuck in their ideas. Yeah. yeah. The team I'm working on, we just start we're in a similar place, very very early. The, we're doing it totally differently. We're building a, fr- a structural framework of this application we're making that the game will live inside. Uh, so it's a very mm-hmm. different. It, it 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 suits my speed, but like. I'm like I can't wait to get to the gameplay part, and we're we're a ways from that. We need to build the foundation before we can start prototyping right. play, yeah, right. um, which is a little bit different from how most games are made. So I have a couple of nephews. I've mentioned them before. Uh, this morning we went over for breakfast. The minute I walked in the door, Auntie Ellen, can I show you the new game I got on the Switch? <laughs> no, after breakfast, and then two minutes later, Auntie Ellen, I want to show you the new game I got on the Switch, <laughs> and then two minutes later. Oh, yeah. um, you asked me that three times and I've given you the same answer every time. <laughs> so then he waited 10 minutes before he asked me again. Oh, how kind. But oh, I, control. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, he's, you know, he's five. He's, oh, yeah. He's five. That is a lot of yeah. control for a five-year-old. Yeah. Um, we asked him like some sand timers out. So that helped a little bit. Like, mm. okay, we'll go when these are done. But we, uh, he picked up Super Mario 3D World. And so oh. we, a bunch of us piled down in the basement on the big couch and mm. Um, he like snuggled right up next to me and uh-huh. we were playing and he got to play Mario be player one. And yeah. We ran around and I really, really boofed it. Like <laughs> oh. <I was> so <laughs> bad. <laughs> but it was really interesting because like this kid is, can be super competitive and he, that's been like a area of growth for this child. Yeah. Um, and we used to play uh, Mario racing um a lot mm-hmm. but he could really mad if he didn't come in first oh. <laughs> so we decided we were going to look for you know as like a family unit um, aunts and uncles and mom and everybody like look for more cooperative games and so we got this one and it's actually it actually made a really big difference because like uncle eric got the most scores playing as peach mm-hmm. yeah. and then like nephew got second and i got zero <laughs> <laughs> so we got to have some good laughs at auntie ellen <laughs> scoring zero <laughs> Um, you guys feel pretty good when he like scored pretty high. So and I don't know, it was really, yeah. it was really cute. It's really fun. 
and I'll get yeah, better. That game at it. is interesting because it's really co-op, but it does have <coughs> it. It does rank you at the yep. end of the of a round. Mm-hmm. That was important for me and my brother. I imagine. <laughs> <laughs> you got to beat that game so you can play as Rosalina. Oh mm-hmm. yeah, she's she's eight. She's the best. Dude, I was thinking of getting him one of the Pikmin games as well at yeah. some point because I'd be fun. And I described like the the player like the, the leaf <laughs> hitting, and he just lost it. He almost fell off the couch laughing. <laughs> so cute. Yeah. That's good. Good good gameplay. I haven't finished any of the games that I reported on last episode because I've been busy with work stuff, but we shipped the thing that I was busy with, so I think I'm going to take some time this week to chill a little bit and beat some games, and then I'll poll on Twitter to see what I should play next. You're going you're gonna to play those games on the gamepad? I, you know, no. Oh. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I'm sorry, <laughs> but I will help you get it back. Okay. One of the games I do have lined up that we can vote on is uh-huh. an emulator uh-huh. on Android, and I got that cool Razer controller yeah, yeah, I yeah. haven't played a lot on. So oh, I didn't put that on the list of things. I will. Oh. <laughs> well, I can't. I can't speak to it um, oh, okay, because I haven't yeah. played a lot on it yet. Right. But but I've queued up some Metroid in preparation for the ah. next one. That will be on a D pad, and it'll be on a cool D pad that stretches around my phone. But there are lots of controllers, right, Stephen? Yes. So many game pads. that's the topic uh yeah i just wanted to talk about console game pads yeah the ones you use on xbox switch playstation etc i mean i'm excited about this topic because as you know i love all controllers yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah you do oh yeah there's a giant pile of controllers sitting here on the table well it's visual aid so we can as we talk about each one we can grab the pile Goodness. Sound effects, and, uh, high quality podcast stuff. <laughs> yeah, we could talk about things. Yeah, um, I feel like this is going to be relatively scatterbrained because great, because <laughs> there's a lot of controllers podcast out there. stuff. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, as a game dev community, we have kind of gathered around a certain style of controller. Yeah, like all con- basically all controllers have D pads, triggers, shoulder buttons, control sticks. Regular buttons, um, they are equivalent of a pause button and a and a select button. Right, the irregular buttons. Yes, and irregular buttons and such. <laughs> um, and I guess now most the modern consoles have like a share button. I think they all do now. Don't they, they all do now. Yeah. yeah, you know, all of the controllers have varying qualities of all these different properties. Some controllers, especially the older controllers like the, the NES, don't have certain features. Like they didn't have the they didn't have triggers. They didn't have control sticks. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I kind of feel like uh, this next 20 minutes is just going to be me ranting about how crappy or not crappy some of these controllers are. <laughs> it's going to be great. Uh, <laughs> I figured we'd start with Xbox because I, I feel like, especially with PC gaming, a lot, that's the con- the controller that you're most yeah. um, familiar with. All right, everybody grab an Xbox controller. Grab an Xbox controller. <laughs> There's a lot of them. I get the blue one. This is... <laughs> What is which one is this one? So you're holding uh, an Xbox One controller, so. but it was it was um it's a custom color one from their yeah. design lab. Okay, and it's gray with a, a, a just one orange uh, element, yeah. and it was meant to match the Hololens. Oh, because when I was doing yeah. Hololens development, that's the color scheme of the Hololens yeah. is a dark gray with a couple of orange accents. So I got an Xbox controller to match because there was a time. Uh, uh, not at the beginning when it launched, but it, it, it um it, you could only use your like um. Anyone who remembers the the first Hololens, like you just put your hands out and you do the air tap motion yeah. based on like a gaze gesture, 
Um, but then they, and then you could use a mouse and keyboard with it, um, which was sort of interesting. Yeah. But ultimately they decided for certain applications and definitely for games, um, a, a market that didn't really develop very much on that, on that system. Uh, they wanted to have gamepad uh, control. And so, because it's just a windows machine, basically you could do that. And so when the, and that was about the time that the Xbox one controller went from its proprietary, uh, wireless protocol to that plus Bluetooth. Yeah. When they, they in mid cycle, they updated the controller. That's right. Mm-hmm. And so the the design lab where you could customize them. Once they came out with that, I was like, oh, I want to get a one. I want to start using one on the Hololens. But I'm like, I want one that matches. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I got one that matched. Yeah. But now, then I sold my Hololens after a while when when it sort of stopped doing any work on that. And I but I still have this controller. I really like it. I like the colors. They and they just started the design lab for the Xbox uh, Series controller. So, yes. Which Where is, is even, one of those? Is there one I can grab? Uh, yes, I have just the the default black one of those. Give me the gray one. Um, <laughs> Give me the gray one. Oh yeah. Give me the gray one. You get that one. <laughs> no, we're just fumbling around with controllers. Yeah, I know. Yeah, right? Right? Very good audio. Good. I bet. Why it's is it warm? Good. Oh, it's by it was by your your laptop. <laughs> yeah, this thing puts out a lot of heat. Uh, okay. So you can see that it has a bit of a different texture. Oh, this isn't quite. I mean, it. The D pad's different. The D pad is okay. So so I the, the part of the reason why I want to start with Xbox controllers is because I have the Xbox um, Elite. Pro Series Two or the, whatever the, the sequel, the sequel, yeah, right. the fancy one, the one that costs two hundred dollars, right, right, right. Um, and these are both Xbox One controllers. Yes, uh, the, they, they work with the, the series and are, PC yeah. and stuff. But yes. yeah, bling bling. Yeah. Um. And Mark, you were saying that like the D pad w- feels similarly to the one in the on the Elite controller. Like it's got that. Like the the Elite controller has this fancy. Like it's every like almost all of the. Um, things on the Elite controller you can customize, like the control sticks and the. Yeah, you can like remove them and replace them. Right? Yeah, and yeah. I like doing that when I'm bored. I always found that an interesting feature because it's like you sort of would do that once, maybe twice. Yeah, but it's sort of like I was like, well, I mean, that's kind of what customization is. You mm-hmm. you figure it out and then you leave the rest of the parts in a drawer forever. Yeah, and it just seems like oh, this was strange kind of. Yeah, every once in a while I'll pull out the regular D pad looking one that's re- like on the ah. regular Xbox One controller, but most of the time I use they have a ba- basically like a. Um, octagonal like shape um that you can use to replace the yeah imagine the d-pad on the genesis but not terrible (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's that's um it's clicky it's very clicky yeah well yeah so like the 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 xbox series controller kind of feels like that but this one is a lot more d-pad-esque there's an actual d-pad shape on this controller oh right the one on the elite controller is just a little disc yeah it's just like oh that's right and that feels i never used that one so oh sure well that feels like really like the the one on the elite controller feels really comfortable to me yeah just because like it's just like you just move your thumb and it just like right it has kind of a control stick vibe yeah right you're not pressing buttons you're just rocking your thumb yep right which is how you play it on a Mm d-pad so that has been nice um i found Ellen wants to hold I it. I want to hold it. Mm-hmm. Um, I found that like Xbox controllers overall are quite solid in yeah. terms of like all the things they can do. They don't have like fancy additional features like right, there's no motion control. Like the newer play- yeah, like the newer PlayStation ones. Actually, I guess PlayStation Four and Five have like motion controls and fancy other features. Mm-hmm. Switch, Nintendo always has weird stuff on their controllers. Yeah, for the most part. Um, but like Xbox, they've they've definitely improved on their design from the gigantic. Uh, the Duke. X- <laughs> yeah, the Xbox controller. Yeah, that's like you could beat somebody over the head with and really deal damage. Now we should. I mean, how? Like, I'm just saying, like, how you? How old is our audience? Do they remember the Duke from 20 years ago? I mean, I do. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That that was some. That was a. That, I had a hard time using yeah. that controller when I was young because like it's so big. Yeah. yeah. Huge. 
Right. It was an, it was Xbox first controller. It was enormous. And yeah. like the, the, the array of face buttons was like squished into a really tight diamond yeah. pattern. Mm-hmm. And, and then it had a white and black button yeah. mm-hmm. instead of, and then it just had two triggers. It didn't have bumpers. Yes. So like at the time, the PlayStation controller, because the just, this is history in reverse now, but like yeah. the, the Super Nintendo controller introduced the shoulder buttons. Yeah. The PlayStation controller was like, ha, we have four shoulder buttons. <laughs> <laughs> so there weren't triggers yet. The PlayStation 1 and PlayStation 2 were just mm-hmm. four buttons up there. And I remember thinking like, that's too many buttons. Like you're just trying to up, <laughs> Like you're just trying to because they were because the trigger and button combo, which became standard later, yeah. that makes some sense, yeah. right? Because they're but you don't in many games unless I mean shooters have standardized some of that, but like yeah. not a lot of games use all four of those still. But right. they're different inputs, and so they're still valuable to have both of them. Mm-hmm. So the first PlayStation controller is kind of funny, but then the Xbox had analog triggers, mm-hmm. yes, uh, but didn't have X buttons, but it then had the black and white face button. Yeah. which just sat off to, and they weren't even, they were just called the black and white button, right? Yes, they were, yeah. Which is they, like, didn't ha- they, they, they didn't have any particular clear focus. Which is weird, because ABXY had colors that were assigned to them, mm-hmm. and those colors have remained all the way to the current Xbox controller. Yeah. So so aside from that weirdness, it was also the j- biggest, it was this enormous thing. Yeah. yeah. It was very hard to fit in anybody's hands. Yeah. I would always blame my poor Halo performance on yeah. the fact that my hands are small. <laughs> and that controller was big. Yeah, yeah, it's it's huge. That wasn't the truth. Mm-hmm. I was just bad. Yeah, <laughs> <But> <laughs> our audience doesn't need to know that. <laughs> my integrity is part of. <laughs> I pride myself on my integrity. All right, here yeah, on the yeah, show, yeah. that's fair. Basically, I guess what I'm saying is like Xbox controllers are very solid. In like they're kind of like the default controllers, but they don't like excel in any particular area. I think I yeah. think they're just solid. Good they're all the, around. The mean, right? Yeah, I yeah. do. One thing I really like about um, and I don't know if you're trans- transitioning to the PlayStation controllers next, but one thing I do prefer to the Xbox over the PlayStation is the angle of the little dangly bits. <laughs> what do oh, you call these? The, the Hand- handles? Handles, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. Um, they're like at an angle that feels really natural. From like You can follow like the line from my elbow through my wrist right to the end of my finger, and it's just uh, one yeah, yeah. straight line, whereas the, uh, the angles on the PlayStation are more like straightforward. So it actually requires me to bend my wrist a bit. And I don't uh, like that as much. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Not as comfortable. It's one of the things that, so um, uh, Microsoft is, there's like, they have YouTube videos about this sort of press release style things. They talk about like all the science that went into the exact shape of the, the shell of yeah. the thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that considering how like comfortable it is to hold a Switch controller yeah. and how like how s- flat and silly that looks, like I think there's a little bit of overstating exactly how much ergonomics matters in this cases, mm-hmm. but there are certain ergonomics do matter yeah. right it's i don't know as much as in, to that described but it's interesting you say that that angle of approach as you you know go from your elbows to the to the controller like that that and as people that probably have preferences about that too like there probably isn't a right way well yeah. it probably depends on how many hours you're playing. well yeah and that's that's the thing is like with the the some of the xbox controllers specifically like the elite controller is designed for long-term gaming yeah because like you it feels cool on your hands. It's yeah. like it doesn't get sweaty, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like with some of these controllers that we hear, some of the Xbox controllers here, that they're not, they're like more slippery. And like you can tell if you played this on this for two hours, you get sweaty and you'd start getting dirt all over it. And jump. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Right. The, the, the new series controllers have like much more texture. Yeah. It feels really good. I like this yeah. one a lot. It's, yeah. It seems weird to me. I think it's just because being used to the Xbox One controller for seven years. Yeah. It's just weird that texture feels, I mean, you get used to it. Yeah, but it feels like you have a sol- more solid grip on it. Yeah, Why, there's yeah. a lot of stuff in here. Uh, sorry, <laughs> <laughs> just like all the different things you could think about when you're just developing a controller. For sure. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. This is like where my me- mechanical engineering background co- 
comes into play. Right, right, right. Sort of. Right? Well, and, I mean, yeah. as long as we're on that topic, let's yes. talk about this one sort of like third party. Oh yeah, that thing's terrible. My here. goodness, what is this? Okay, so yeah. this is an this is an an Asus controller. Uh-huh. It's very much in the Xbox style. It has all yeah. the same buttons in the same places. Um, oh, it does. The the sticks the, the, are arranged like a PlayStation. Are, yeah, like. Um, yeah. But it has ABXY and the colors match and stuff. Yes. Um, it was uh, made for the uh, the Nexus Player, which was an Asus made Android TV reference device. Uh, that but Google designed it. So if you've ever heard the Nexus phones were meant to be like the standard Android implementation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it was always made by another company. So Samsung made one one year. LG made one one year. HTC made those are the phones. Yep. Um, Google eventually started their own in house. Pixel phones later. The Nexus Player was their Android TV version of that. It was made by Asus. And I have one and I still use it in my office. And it's what I use to develop Android TV stuff on. And uh, I bought the official air quotes controller for it Mm -hmm. uh, that Asus also made. But it very much feels like a third party controller. It doesn't have quite the same feel. And there's just something about it. It's like, Stephen, you were saying earlier that you think it's just a matter of cost. Yeah. They just don't spend as much to make nice well yeah and and i mean xbox is is unique in that like i think they're the only of the big three that makes like fancy elite controllers yeah 200 ones um and i think so like i think microsoft specifically is focused on that kind of stuff making sure that the controller feels good in most players hands mm-hmm. i think that maybe that's probably because like the first implementation of the xbox controllers was so bad <laughs> <laughs> they wanted to improve on that and they just kept right, doing like, it like there's 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 like a, a poster up in the walls at the, the product design yeah. labs they're just like never forget <laughs> yeah <laughs> exactly um but yeah i think other other or other controllers who are not you know default controllers to stand out they either need to be really cheap because like you know why would you spend the same amount of money to get a product that isn't microsoft endorsed or whatever right mm-hmm. um or they need to be really like it, it, it enhanced elite feeling yeah like it's almost as good as like an elite controller yeah um this one doesn't i mean there are two there are three things that pop out one these buttons feel cheap yeah um two this, shoulder button this like these trigger buttons stick out way far and i'm like basically flipping you off <laughs> to, be able, to be able to wrap my middle finger around this yeah, thing yeah and then the third thing which took me a second to realize but i think is the most kind of annoying thing at all is there's like this seam here on the side yep so like there's this seam between the bottom part of the controller and the top part of the controller yeah, on the handles, that yeah. just yeah, on the handles that just um ah. just like digs right into your palm yeah exactly and that's when like as soon as i held this controller yeah. i was like no this is terrible you know the wii u pro oh, controller had yeah. that too i remember it like it was, it's better than that one. Oh yeah, but I remember it. I think it does have bit. a little bit of that. Yeah. I think oh, I have yeah, to. Sorry, I have to interrupt the podcast. Dale just sent me um, a, a text uh, which shows a screenshot of her playing GeoGuessr uh-huh. uh, that she got within one yard of the correct location. Oh, Excuse my me. Goodness. <laughs> see, I want to see Dale on uh, the next speed game. Yeah. <laughs> Quick. <laughs> wow. Did she Google it though? You think she was using Google or did she just brain I th- she just I think brained it? She quickly developed a pride for this sort of thing. So I would be very surprised okay. if she used any assistance at all. Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> okay, back to the regular <laughs> scheduled program. <laughs> right, right. Okay. So yeah, this controller is bad. Yeah. We're gonna move on to PlayStation now. Yeah. Um and so PlayStation, at least when you know, when they first started out, they had been relatively consistent with how they designed their controllers. The first three consoles that they made, their controllers look almost exactly the same. It's like from the they, same plastic mold. Yeah, yeah, except like they added, you know, they added um, additional features, like they added the, the, the joysticks, 
um, to well, there was a a PlayStation controller that didn't have one, and then I think they added right the on the, the principal innovation of the PlayStation controller. Yeah. when it was introduced in '95 or whatever '94, yeah. the was the little the wings that Ellen was talking about, the little hand grips. Yes, right. Otherwise, it was just a Super Nintendo controller. Yeah, um, and then of course the two extra buttons. <laughs> Right. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like the two extra shoulder buttons. Yep. Yep. Um, but then when the Nano 64 com- comes out, introduces the analog stick, mm-hmm. uh, it was, I think it was a y- maybe six months later. Uh, and so there was, I think there'd been enough scuttlebutt around that, but it was definitely a response to Nintendo 64. Yeah. They added the two, and that's, that is why the controller has a name. That's why it's called the DualShock. Yeah, not it's like, why does it have its own product name? Why isn't it just PlayStation controller? Mm-hmm. It's specifically because the PlayStation controller was the original version without the, the joysticks. And so they made the DualShock. Yes, because it introduced the the two joysticks and rumble. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the version prior didn't have rumble. But it, um, and so the, the again, a response to the rumble pack that the Nintendo 64 introduced. Yeah. And that immediately became the standard controller yeah. with yes. the two sticks. It's kind of amazing how it, a complete response to two Nintendo innovations that Nintendo totally Nintendoed, right? Like <laughs> very, very unique way of, of doing those two new things. Mm-hmm. Sony picked up and, but they, it just, it, they do feel glommed on those joysticks. And that's kind of an aesthetic thing that, that, in, that to this day in the latest one, it still has that kind of sense that the joysticks yep. are added onto it, yeah, rather than a core part of the structure of the, the thing, yeah, which is interesting to me. Yeah, so basically, the PlayStation controllers have been innovating. At least the first three basically innovated off of that DualShock controller. They just yeah. like you know added. They didn't really. It felt like they. If you just look at them at a glance, there's not a lot of difference. And really, even if you're playing them, it doesn't. There's not yeah, they feel the same they in feel your hand the same for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, so like they're the same thing, but the 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 thing that differentiates. Outside from all that stuff, the thing that differentiates like Xbox controllers with um, with the PlayStation controllers is where the joysticks are located. The joysticks are located on the bottom, mm-hmm. or the left joystick, the normally move joystick, is located on the bottom of the controller. Whereas you know on the Xbox, it's closer to the your right. They call button. it offset. It's like the yeah. standard terminology for it. Yes, that's right. When but then the PlayStation Four came out and they added more features to the PlayStation Four, including you know it's got motion sensing, it's got the motion bar on the mm-hmm. on the, the back of it. Um, it's got the little touchpad thing. Um, I think it's still that's still on the PlayStation Five. Yeah, it? that is the select button now. Yeah, as well. Uh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, which is, is interesting. It's like it's this giant button that serves as it serves as the select button. Well, yeah, I think they you know had ambitions for people to use it for more features. True, but yeah. they I don't think people really yeah. utilize it in that way. But they, it it also has triggers. I think the PlayStation Three also sort of had triggers like this too. But it's yeah. got like um, di- what are they call digital triggers, right? Um and i don't know what do you mean by that oh by like you know like the 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 how far you push into the like an acceleration pedal yeah well i mean it's just analog triggers is it just called analog triggers? yeah that's okay <laughs> well then never mind i didn't remember the term yeah um yes so the, the the playstation 3 had this a little bit the playstation 4 you know emphasized a little more they have analog triggers yeah um right because the ps2 the ps2 controller is just a ps1 controller basically yeah right? it's just another dual shock i don't yes. i don't think there was a sing other than it being black I don't think it was a single upgrade, but it's and the PS3 added analog triggers. Yeah, those, those two buttons. Yeah. yeah. So as a result of that, I guess like the PlayStation, all those differences, the PlayStation controllers feel different to hold. And I think there's like, I think for the most part, people stick to Xbox controllers mostly because I think they're the easiest to get because there's a bunch. Everybody goes. With yeah. That all the third design. party controllers on PC are based on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that technology, too. Yeah. Like it works for a lot of Windows 
um, PC. Right, right. The the hardware interface layer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, X input. Right. Whereas whereas PlayStation controllers are harder to use on PC for that reason. Right. Uh, I prefer I prefer the PlayStation controller. Do you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I the PlayStation. I'll say the one PlayStation one two three controllers are a little hard to hold in the, in your hand. Yeah. That, that I think that they were not the most ergonomically comfortable, and I think that was pretty well understood. Yeah. Uh, and so when the PlayStation four controller came out, it was a it was a nice. People really liked it because it was a huge refinement of that design. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. But at the time that the PlayStation three was out, the Xbox three sixty controller was the standard. And I didn't, I didn't like that one very much. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, sure. And yeah. so I still preferred the the DualShock Three and the PlayStation Four controller is still, I think, my favorite controller. Hmm. Like I said before, I love all controllers. I like Xbox. I like them all. I don't, yeah. I don't have a. I, I prefer the way that the DualShock Four does almost everything. Mm-hmm. But I have no complaints about the way other controllers do things, more or less. Yeah. Um. But I think you're right. I think most people prefer the Xbox controller. Yeah, I think that's probably. I, and I, again, I think that's a lot of it is just like people that's the one they access, so they're yeah, used to it. And it yeah, it's comfortable. It's, yeah, easy um, to like, you get your hands on. Now it. that I'm holding PlayStation Four controller, PlayStation Five controller, um, I'm noticing that the handles, handlebars, or whatever they're called, mm-hmm. dangly uh, bits, dangly bits. <laughs> yeah, um, they are much. They're smaller on a, on uh, than like an Xbox controller. Yeah, like it feels mm-hmm. like I'm really wrapping my hand around it, and I could feel like if I was to play this for a little while. I think I'd start feeling like cramps in my this, palm. This might be why I prefer it because okay. I, I have pretty, I don't have the biggest hands in the world, but I have bigger hands. Sure. And so the way I hold a controller is kind of resting in my fingers. I don't okay. grip a controller. Yeah. Okay. And the thing about a, a Xbox controller is you wrap your hands around it. Yes. And that's, that might be why this shape is really important. Yeah. Whereas with the PlayStation controller and why I like the, the, the DualShock 4 a lot is because and, and this is my, if I'm a pitch person for this controller, the argument I would make is <laughs> whatever size your hands are, it will fit because you're not meant to grab it or like wrap, you know, yeah, that's grip fair. it so tightly. Yeah, that's fair. Um, but, you know, people who are used to an Xbox controller, they prefer to play that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that might be, and I think that is why they, even the the the, the PlayStation 5 controller has a, a little bit of a lighter frame, yeah. a little bit of a slimmer frame in, in the, the, the dangle bits because it's not meant to be completely grabbed onto yeah yeah no, i'm um, sitting here like judging comparing them yeah. i know i was doing the same thing well it's like i mentioned that i like the angle of my elbows to my wrists and everything with the xbox mm-hmm. but i play when i play with the controller i play with a with a dual shock mm. so yeah it's not that big of a difference and i do think that like between like this guy the, the dual shock four right mm-hmm. and then the five that we were, have been passing around right, which is called the dual sense which is like oh yeah, it's such a dumb name right. yeah <laughs> <laughs> so so PR-ish it's because a, it's got new technology and they wanted yeah, to yeah, blah 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 when we just ta- we were talking about this like a couple episodes ago how annoying it is to have to like learn different manufacturers right. language <laughs> for how they refer to their product to make yeah. like and then they yeah. go change the language like yeah. come on guys what's even worse about it is that when you try to like if you're like talking about it on, on like on the internet and you want to say like oh the, the DS4 is the DualShock 4 okay yeah but it's the PS4 controller right nobody. but then this thing is called the DS for dual sense <laughs> yeah and it's like okay fine yeah. like, that's yeah. not helpful but all right yeah it's calling it the five um yeah. it's it does feel a little bit like a little bit bigger in my hands but it is a little bit it's closer to that xbox yeah, yeah but yeah. the angle and the angles on my elbows and wrists is a little bit closer to the xbox but not exactly the thing that i love about the dual sense mm-hmm. controller is how al dente the the sticks feel like that's the best thing oh, like yeah, yeah they're like yeah. nice and chewy and like just the right level of resistance Yes, I, I I like that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I like the sticks on them. Yeah. yeah. It's got some weight on it too. Yeah. yeah that feels good. 
that what's interesting about the the one the reason I like the DualShock form, well, one the the Dual Sense is ugly. Like I, I disagree. I mean, I think we've talked about this on the show before <laughs> uh-huh. like when they were, when it was revealed. Oh, he did. Yeah. But like even holding it, I'm just like, oh man, it's over, it's over designed aesthetically. It's just overthought. Huh. It has these like jewel like transparent buttons, but then it's also a two tone black and white. But then the sticks have kind of a gray matte because they're made of a different material. Yeah. It's just completely. It just does not feel. It's so. It's so ugly. It kind of like, looks like the inside of the dragon capsule. What? It looks like a SpaceX <laughs> yeah. piece of hardware. A little bit, yeah. I, I still stand by the fact that the, play, the PlayStation 5 controller looks like a futuristic controller from the 90s. Yeah. yeah. And yep. I love yeah. that about it. <laughs> I do, you know, saying that it's part of, part of SpaceX technology, I do like it, and I do like the clear buttons. I, yeah, I like the way... It lo- I, I mean, I'm not going to talk about the, contro- the console itself, because... Yeah. Yeah. Ain't nobody gonna stand up for that, but, uh, <laughs> but the not controller the itself, is. yeah, the controller itself, I like the the way it looks personally. Okay, well, <laughs> independent of that, yeah, um, the one of the features it has is these, um, uh, I forget what they're called, they're uh, resistive triggers. Yes, um, where they have, um, yeah, this is cool. It's actually a, it's actually a really simple technology. Yeah, which is just it has a little motor inside each trigger mm-hmm. and a little spiral gear, and then the motor will lock and have resistance. So that when you pull the trigger, it, it you know runs along that spiral gear. Yeah. So it just makes the triggers a little bit, it gives more resistance to yeah. pulling them. Mm-hmm. And so, and that game can control that. It's really interesting. You know how like the the um, GameCube controller, the analog s- uh, triggers pull down and then snap as a final button. Right. Yes. That was a cool feature. I like that a lot. Mm-hmm. But with the PlayStation 5 controller, you can have that, but it could be software determined. That's yeah. cool. And it's That's really, cool. really neat. Um, the thing is though, is that it actually makes, when you have lots of games that use that, and early in the console cycle as it is, a lot of games kind of use it to the max yeah. in a sense. Um, and you can, ad- what's great for accessibility is you can adjust it at the system level. Uh, it, you know, it reads input from the software, but then it, you can multiply it by a system setting, mm-hmm. which is really valuable. Yeah. My hands have been actually kind of cramped gripping and pulling those because the way I hold a controller is still kind of like, I don't grip it too tightly. Right. So I have no, um, as I pull those triggers, I, I have to grip it tightly. And it's just like, I don't maybe I'm using it wrong. But I feel like my hands after a session of like Ratchet and Clank or Astro's Playroom or any of the games that really or Spider-Man that Mm. took use of of that. I feel like my hands get cramped up using those triggers and I don't want to adjust it because, um, well, I don't have that accessibility concern, although maybe the cramping is a sign of that I should change it. Mm -hmm. But like it feels good. The mechanics, the the gameplay of it feels correct. Yeah. It's just that like my hands hurt after a while. Yeah. I've always felt that about PlayStation controllers. Like like if you have a lot of use of the triggers like if you're playing a shooter or something uh-huh. like i felt that like my hands feel cramped after mm. like oh. a lot of use of that's them. probably a different thing though because this is very for me anyway it's very specific to the use of the oh the, sure. the highly resistive sure that's, that's fair that's fair but right. yeah i yeah i don't know i've always had an issue yeah. with as much as i like the the dualshock 4 the xbox triggers have a much better uh curve like resistance curve they sort of they, they bottom out once you get about halfway through yeah and and so they do they are more comfortable to use it over long sessions absolutely yeah. that's true yeah I know you were saying earlier that like I don't think that you know you don't have to do a lot to you know get things to be ergonomic, but there's some they definitely put some thought in a lot of these, yeah. Because it's like even the weight, like the just the stuff you put in it to make it heavier or not heavy, you know. Yeah, I think that makes a difference. Well, you got to balance all this stuff too, like the 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 mechanics you need for the D pad on the left and the face buttons on the right. Yeah, you're about the same, but like you know, there's a gram or half a gram difference in weight of the parts you put on either side. Right. In the case of like some of the older controllers, the rumble motor on the left and the rumble motor on the right actually uh, operated a uh, coarse and fine control. 
And that's still true of Xbox controllers, I think. Yeah. And so there actually is, you have to do a lot to balance the weight of it. There's, there is a lot of product design that goes into it. Oh, yeah. Like, I'm a, li- I'm a little skeptical of, like, all of the, the perfect science of ergonomics. Oh, sure. I, but it, it, there is a lot that goes into it. Yeah. For, yeah. for certain. A lot of really, like, considered work. Yeah. I have a question. Yes. Why are the, why are the sticks on this DualShock 4 sticky? Like, oh, that's actually really interesting. It's not a joke. They're they're sticky. They on are the top. sticky. <laughs> the, uh, one of the things that I, uh, the the PlayStation Three controller had this really badly. Mm. If you left it in a drawer for a while, it would just get sticky. Ew. I don't know. Oh it, yeah, they did. It's like a it's like a off gassing of the rubber material or something combined yeah. with the, du- the dust in the air. You just got to get like an alcohol swab or like a like a wetted paper towel and clean it off. Mm-hmm. But it's it's weird. It doesn't come from anywhere. Yeah, uh, and it's it's um. Uh, the Wii U controllers had it also. The the yeah. Xbox controllers, none of the Xbox controllers have had that, mm. and I don't know why that is. But yeah, the the the, ah. the DualShock Four you're you're poking at that one has been in a drawer for a while. <laughs> ah. Well, speaking of Nintendo controllers, let's talk about those. Yeah. All right. So yes, Nintendo controllers. You know they uh, right. they have them. Right. Uh. <laughs> the, 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 the coattails on which the, all of video games uh, ride on. Yes. Well. Yeah. <laughs> You know, Nintendo, um, as with everything they do, they're quite experimental. Right. They're, they're <laughs> going to Nintendo. Yeah. We could talk about NES controllers and SNES controllers. I don't know. They're controllers. They, they yeah. don't have all the features, the new ones, because right. they're Nintendo old. invented the D-pad. They yeah. invented shoulder buttons. They invented yeah. the, the start and select. But yeah, we it's that's yeah. pretty old news now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's it's kind of, it's weird to talk about the ergonomics of these kinds of controllers. Yeah. Because, like, you know, they're just like the NES controller is just a block. (laughs) Yeah, it's just a square. And it's not, I mean, you know, you could dig it into your corner or something. But, like, maybe why I I hold controllers the way I do is because, like, (laughs) I don't find a problem with those rectangle controllers. Sure. Yeah. It's fine to me. Yeah. Um, Also, NES, still best D pad ever made. The NES? Never Mm -hmm. been equaled. It's pretty solid. So, like, okay, so look, I wanted to move on to that. The N64 because it's got more of the features. Um, The N64 controller, you know, is weird because it's got three of the grippy shoulder thingies yes what are we calling them dangle bits dangle bits i'm not sure if we should call them that (laughs) (laughs) i know i know i brought it up (laughs) yeah okay uh handles or wings Uh, i like mark said wings that's kind of cool wings you know it's funny we haven't tried is there a name for this there probably is listeners tell us the name thanks (laughs) uh anyways nc4's got three of the wings or whatever um and you know that was like a unique feature of it because like some games would have you hold it on the left two and some games will have you hold it on the right two. Yeah. Um, most games I think had you hold it on the, the right. But like it was just kind of weird that they decided on that. I think it was just so like you had different Yeah. There were more functionalities. And I think maybe it was very they, explicitly a idea of like you can control this game digitally yeah. or you can control it analog. Yeah. And they never expected people to ever need both. Yes. It was it was sort of like I think Nintendo probably at some point had a version without a D pad. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But then I heard someone was like, you know what? Some developers might not be comfortable designing for this the analog stick, and some yeah. players would prefer to play this way. Yeah. And so let's leave it in there as a legacy feature. I'm yeah. almost certain that was the conversation at the time, mm-hmm. which is it is weird because you look back at now and you're like, this is a ridiculous design. Yeah. But you you can really trace why it is that way because I think a lot of games did not really utilize the D pad, not not necessarily as a result of the that design, but just because like at the time it wasn't you didn't need all of them buttons. Yeah, you need all that movement. Mm-hmm. Now games are more complicated, and so they need yeah. more things. I mean, D pads are for a lot of games. Uh, the D pad is just four buttons. Yeah, right. Yep, it's true. And just it's because true. they're within reach, mm-hmm. you know. So it's the Nintendo actually kind of wasn't wrong in a sense. 
Yeah, but so they so they did that, and you know the the N sixty four controllers they're still kind of comfortable. They still worked out. Yeah, and they also have the the little you know the Z thing in the very back that nobody knew where that was. So whenever they said Z on the thing, people would be like, "What? What's the Z?" <laughs> ah, it's <was> great. <laughs> um, so they moved on to the GameCube controllers, and actually the GameCube controllers are very similar to a lot of these more modern controllers. And people swear by that heckin' controller because freaking melee people will not let anything go and they can't move on to a better game. Yeah. I'm sorry, I'm ranting. Ellen, uh, do you have an opinion on the GameCube controller? Because I think longtime listeners have probably heard it from Steven and I both. Oh, true. Neither of us love the GameCube controller. Yeah. I, I mean, that was like, I got skipped that generation because we didn't, ah. we didn't really have, we had an SNES in my house, but like, mm-hmm. so I always played games, today games at my friend's house. I don't think we when I went over there, like we played a lot of GameCube games. That one kind of skipped me when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And now it just is kind of like weird. I don't know. It's like the kid from the reunion that you never talked to in high school and you're like, <laughs> hey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of yeah. how it's like. Um, well, I mean, the one thing I do like about the the GameCube controllers that isn't something featured in any of the modern things is it had a giant A button. It was mm. very clear that this is the button you need to press to do most things. That's I always, cool. I want people say that, yeah. and I'm like, how hard is it to hit the A button? No, I don't think it's hard. I think if you've never played a game before, you're like, what do any of these buttons do? This one's nice and big and prominent. Still, I mean, yes, but then the second you learn which button is the prime button, I have an opinion. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I think big buttons are just fun. Yeah. I mean, okay. Okay. <laughs> I'll I'll sign on to that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> But what also meant is the X and yeah. Y buttons sort of wrap around the yeah. A button, and I always mix those up. Oh yeah, I do too. I don't like the. I don't like those. To this day, I jump with the um, in Smash. I jump with the joystick. Mm-hmm. I don't use the X and Y buttons. Even yeah. that's how a lot of people use their jump. But yeah, I, I, I mainly like the big the big green button on the the GameCube because I, I. But I feel um, like the GameCube controllers doesn't don't they don't feel good to hold. Mm-hmm. I kind of liked how the triggers like worked, but it was kind of weird how like when you you know if you push them all the way in, it would click. I like that's my favorite feature of the game. Is it? Yeah, I like I think the the like the Xbox controllers have a pretty good sort of bottoming out. Yeah. Whereas the PlayStation controllers, even the newest one, are not as good at that. Sure. The um, GameCube one has a very linear uh, resistance as you pull on the trigger Mm. until you get to that point that it stops and then you can click it further like a button. Yeah. And a lot of games didn't take a ton of advantage. of Yeah. Right. Like some games would say, once you get to the point where you could click it, you might as well just register as a press yep. anyway. Yep. Um, and then some games had two functions, right? Yep. But weirdly, the the Dual Sense, the new PlayStation controller, because of the way it works like that, actually, uh, like Ratchet and Clank does this all the time. Pull it halfway to you, where you get the resistance point. You can do one uh, thing and then pull it all the way to get a second yeah. action. So it's kind of it's the only thing to follow in that footsteps. But yeah, but the the physical design of the GameCube one, I really like that. It's, it, it felt very good. It wasn't the clicking that I had an issue with. It's the the amount of pushing you have to get to get to the clicking that mm-hmm. bothered me about it. Oh, it's a it's a long pull. It's a long pull. Yeah, yeah fair. That's why I didn't. That's why I didn't like it. I was like, I got to do all this just to get to the, <laughs> the actual button. Yeah. Um, a lot of people when they're playing melee, they get rid of those springs because like it was just too much effort. Um, it slowed you down. Oh, it's supposed to. I know, but it's of course, to, but it's not in a fighting game. Not, yeah. Yeah, no. there's, um, a, there's a definite player versus developer thing for some of this stuff. Yeah. Like gamers will make the mod to reduce resistance of things, and they won't realize that that's part of the experience. Yeah, you know, and that's part of these hardware designs too, right? Yep, yep. The Wii, you know, Wii mode they emphasize the motion controls. It's got uh, the nunchuck yeah. style gameplay to it. Um, that always felt. I always felt. The Wii always felt nice to me in my hands. Yeah. Um, but it's just kind of weird. I think all like a lot of the Nintendo controllers are just weird. They're different. Yeah. Um, they have and and there's like especially the newer ones, the Wii and the, the Switch. 
Um, they're so different that like they oftentimes would release a pro controller version that is more like an Xbox or a, yeah. a PlayStation controller. Mm-hmm. So like you can use those for uh, more traditional games that don't utilize a lot of motion controls and such. Mm-hmm. Um, even though I think the pro controllers, they, they think they have gyroscopes in them. Like you can do some of the fishing. I'm doing like a fishing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, the, the Wii U one did. Yeah. The Wii Pro Controller plugged into the Wiimote. That's right. It did. And and the and there wasn't a separate gyroscope. At all. Yes. I don't think. I might I be wrong on that. I think you're right. But yeah, there was this sort of ecosystem of accessories you could plug into the um, the Wiimote. And yeah. the, the prime among them being the nunchuck. Yeah. Um, which had a C button. Yes. Which was interesting because it was supposed to be for camera because uh, there was no, there was no, even when you hooked up the, the nunchuck, there was no second stick. That's right. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a, it, like, yeah, very weird all over. Yeah. Um, yeah. And they used that for two generations. They had the Wii and the Wii U. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like, I guess people got used to that. And I think actually it made a lot of sense that they used the same controller for the Wii to the Wii U because the Wii was so, uh, it did so well. They're like, why we don't want people to have to get new controllers? Mm-hmm. You might right, as well right. move on to this new thing. Well, I, think I mean, like, they. I think that was in all... service of backwards compatibility because yeah, I don't. Too. I can't think of a Wii U game that used the Wiimote like as its prime control method. You always use the Wii U controller, like the Wii U gamepad or the Wii U Pro controller. Oh, um, there was there was some that was compatible. Yeah. But for the most part, they expected you to use the Wii nice. U gamepad. Yeah, I guess that's, I guess that's true. A lot of a lot of games did expect you to use the yeah. gamepad. That's a good point. And the gamepad was weird. You know, that's actually something I I didn't think about this before. But I think sticks on top. <laughs> it's not the sticks. It's the it's it does have the sticks on top. I like it. See, I yeah. like all controllers. I yeah, just, I thought it was cool. No, no, I, I'm just realizing now that like I think the newer Nintendo things they don't feel as ergonomic. They're harder to hold for longer periods of time. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. like the I like I really like the, the Joy Cons on the Switch. Um, but I specifically like the joy cons when they are not attached to the dock when they're attached to the when they're at, or the screen when they're attached to the screen yeah then if you're playing it for a while your my hands get cramped really quick yeah on those because it's just it's so small and like you're just like kind of hitting the flat surface oh, that's the back with my yeah. fingers well it's a, it's a case too where there's there's nowhere to grip onto right you have to yes. sort of hold it in your fingers not in your hands yes and so so that which is my mode so i'm kind of okay with it yeah um but the switch itself is heavy enough that I have to sort of hold my pinkies out to yeah. hold the weight of the switch in order to keep a light touch. Yep. And so my my pinkies get cramped. The rest of my hands do not. Yeah. I have not had that problem, and I wonder if it's because I have like hands that are half the size of your guys's. Could be, but uh, you're not, uh, Ellen. Is you're now holding the 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 grip, the the Joy-Con grip, which yeah. has the the uh, wings. We're now calling them. Yeah. Uh, and and that's very comfortable. I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you touch it, it's weird because you don't feel the rumble as much. Yeah, that's that. true. It, do, it doesn't travel as much through that that plastic. Um, the grips are more comfortable. I hate using them though because I'm like, if I'm using the if I'm using the grips, I might as well just take the Joy Cons off and just do whatever. Yeah, I want yeah. With my hands. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, Stephen and I compared hand size, and Stephen's hands are bigger than mine. Yes, that's the result. Uh huh. <laughs> Sorry, Ellen. It's okay. Well, <laughs> I can do what I also a report. Um, I tried. While you guys were talking about uh, the um, the GameCube controller, yeah, I admit I wasn't entirely paying attention because I was trying to figure out if there was actual technical term for these things. Yeah, oh. I can't find it. Hey. I like did some pretty good googling, I think, yeah. and no one. I mean, maybe so, grips. Yeah, I've heard grips, oh, grips. but heard it's grips. such a generic term that you have to be really in the context of the moment to know that's what you're talking about. Yeah, uh, wings is kind of like okay, we can call them that, but it doesn't feel right. No, yeah. it doesn't feel right. You know, grips. You don't hold wings. That's weird. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I guess the grips, but grips seems so lame. 
Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Listeners, give us your best thoughts on what they're called. Or find the official term as I asked and requested. Why haven't you found it yet already? Listeners, we spent doing? nearly an hour on this topic <laughs> and like this is the most important thing and we didn't get to the bottom of it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, goodness. Uh, so, Stephen, yes. um, are you ready to talk for another hour about controllers? <laughs> uh, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> but do you think really that it's fair to our listeners uh, to put it in the main? I mean, we have this second topic we have to get to. Yeah, we do. I mean, we so, should give it its you know due service. But it's important. I mean, it's vitally important that we talk about controllers for another who knows how long. Yeah, I've got a rant on Logitech queued up. You know, we so. have a lot more to say. <laughs> we do, and so, more controllers to pick up. Well, yeah. let me ask you this: where where might we put that content if we can't put it into the show right now? That is a good question. Where would we put extra content for listeners to hear that they can get access to? We we, we do have a Patreon. Yeah, Maybe is that can. would that be good for this? I What's think, that for? I think we could do that. Yeah, you could go to Patreon.com/slash Nice Games Club and listen to me ranting about Logitech controllers for an hour. I'm excited. <laughs> Ellen's excited. You can listen to that. Um, yeah, I, that makes sense, right? You put it on there? Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> let me do the math. Okay, yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that checks out. Cool, That's cool, a good place cool. for it. Patreon.com slash Nice Games Club. What yeah. is that again? Patreon.com slash Nice Games Club. One more time, Mark. Patreon.com slash Nice Games Club. I had to do that because you've done it to Steven so many times. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. 
every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. We started this episode by talking about how St. Paul's better than Minneapolis. Um, <laughs> Did we? <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> It's right up at the top, third place. <laughs> uh, I want to return to that for a second, just because I think it's a good way for us to talk a little bit about some of the parks we might have visited in the Twin Cities area. Um, I do live in St. Paul, but I do visit a lot of Minneapolis parks and probably vice versa. Um, but I want to just see like, no. yeah, okay. The Mark <laughs> won't have anything to contribute. No, I just want to... <laughs> <laughs> he just cut his mic. <laughs> <laughs> I've got the scissors right here. <laughs> um, no, yeah, so like we have this great park system, yeah. um, and there are region, there are actually like regional park systems also nestled between the two urban park systems, mm-hmm. and so and there's like lots of collaboration between different counties and things like that to to make all the natural spaces that are throughout the urban area really accessible to people and and to preserve a lot of that mm-hmm. so that people can use them as parks. And so I wanted to just kind of like. Just to get us in the right mind space, like talk about your favorite Twin Cities park area and why you like it so much. And I'll go first. I'll go. Uh, I'll go one and two. Um, my favorite park is probably the Minnehaha Dog Park, Aww. which is a Minneapolis system park. Yeah. Um. So I'll nod my hat, you know, tip <laughs> yeah. my hat to mm-hmm. you, Mark. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> because it's like one of the biggest dog parks in the country. It's huge. Yeah. Like. And and it's just like so interesting in the topography and like the way that the river comes through every year and like really floods it out. So it, it works really well for a dog park and like lots of cool people there and cool dogs and puppies. But there's like huge cottonwood trees growing out of the riverside and yeah. it's full of like birds singing and things like that. And it's just a really it's a really great place to be. Um, and it's very despite the fact that it's overrun by canines. So there <laughs> aren't a lot of mammals there yeah. <laughs> other than humans and dogs. It still feels very natural and like untouched, um, mm-hmm. and I think that's really cool. The other park that, that that I think is my second favorite is a park um, down by Normandale Community College. I think it's actually owned by the college, and it's the Japanese Garden. Mm. Oh, um, so they have like a, a cultivated Japanese garden that's very landscaped, but like amazing ambiance to be in, and just like huge koi fish moving through the pond, mm-hmm. and like trees that are have been pruned to be all tangly and crooked and flowers that get big and a waterfall. Yeah. That's pretty cool. There's a water hall, waterfall in Minnehaha. Mm-hmm. Isn't that what Minnehaha means? It's like laughing water. Sure. That <laughs> falls is great. Like even yeah. in the winter, even it's really nice. Yeah. yeah like that's true. A lot of it freezes. And... Yeah. The Minnehaha. Falls. Yeah. Yeah. There's another uh, Japanese garden in uh, Como, which is where I got married. Yeah. Ah! Um, Como. T- tell us more. <laughs> Como Japanese Garden, I guess? Como Park? Yeah, yeah. Tell listeners about Como Park. Uh, so there's a zoo there, but I don't like zoos, so I've never been there. <laughs> and you didn't yeah. get married at the zoo. I didn't get married at the zoo, but there's a conser- there's a conservatory building there, uh, which is oh, pretty cool. Oh, Como! Wait, of course, I used to go there all the time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when, I, when I was in elementary school, we would go there, and we went to the, um, the, the, the um, you just said it, the observatory. Yeah. Um, oh, like man, conservatory. I conservatory. Well, and, and they had. They oh, had I like, wish we had an observatory. I've never seen they, this they had an, Oh, no, wait. Maybe I went to elementary school at Como Park. 
And that's what I'm well, you grew up in St. Paul, and that's yes. where that is. Yes. I grew up in the suburbs, so I went to the Minnesota Zoo, which was very close to where I grew up. Yes. So I never, uh, when I was young, so like learning there's a Como Zoo, and then it's like, oh, this, I'm never going to go there. I have this bigger zoo near me. Yeah. But the thing about the Como area is that there's a ton of other stuff there. Yeah. Right. Which I didn't learn until I grew like up. Like a band yes. shell, there's yeah. restaurants nearby. And- mm-hmm. There's an elementary school. Elementary school. I was only there for like a year and a half or something. But, but yeah. I like the Japanese garden, and that's yeah. where I got married. And it's yeah. a really scenic place to get married. Um, yeah. But my actually my favorite parks are I'm an urbanist, so like I don't want I like small parks that are that you can still see the city. Sure. Yeah. So I uh, Minneapolis is full of those, mm-hmm. um, and I, I there's a gold medal park is near near here. Um, right on the river, but also you can see the Guthrie and you can see West River Road and you can still see the skyline. Like it's, it's got a nice hill. Like it's, I just love those kinds of parks. Yeah. Um, somewhere I can bike to and stop for a bit and then, then bike on, you know, sure, mm-hmm. that's, sure. that's my jam. Yeah. My, my favorite park is the Battle Creek. I think it's the recreational park. I feel like there are two Battle Creek parks. There you go. I'm confused. Mm-hmm. I think it's the recreational park. I used to live near there and I, I, it, I, I mostly love it for nostalgia value because yeah. I played soccer there. And when I was a little kid and uh, we would like when I did cross country running in high school, that's where we, a lot of times we would run over there and stuff. I did cross country too. Hey, hey. let's go. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So like, I just like have a lot of nostalgia for that place. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a dog park as well. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have like a mental model of all the dog parks? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> For me, I'm always, I go around and I'm like, oh, a dog park. I wouldn't have known unless I got that close to the sign. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, the, the topic we're talking about is like nature and games. Mm-hmm. And there are, that's gradient, right? Natural spaces exist on kind of like a spectrum. Yeah. Um, you know, we're not like in, no matter how completely pristine feeling the park is in the Twin Cities area, it's not like pristine like Olympic National Park is, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not an untouched space. But that's okay because I think they're like, you were saying, Mark, you're an urbanist, and some like some of the most powerful park places are ones that really integrate, like yeah. the city into the natural, like, integrate the natural space into the city, and vice versa. And I think there's, you know, there's something really powerful about natural spaces and green spaces, and that's documented, like in the psychological literature. So, kind of with that in mind, and putting us into the brain space of parks and nature. When game devs decide to make a game about nature, what are the reasons they do it? And like, what are the different flavors of that? Um, just like we were talking about parks and how the natural space that is in a park is kind of exists on a spectrum to from like completely natural and pristine to cultivated. Um, I feel like there are maybe it's not maybe not a spectrum of reasons that exists on one continuum with two ends. Yeah. But there's like a blending of lots of different reasons why you might have natural presence in your game. Yeah. So the things that kind of like pop to mind are like you might have natural, like deliberate natural elements in your game to kind of cultivate appreciation for nature um, because you like the aesthetics. I think that's a big one. Um, Awareness, maybe that goes to appreciation as well. And then like trying to maybe initiate some kind of action. I have a few examples that I want to talk through. And Mm -hmm. um, so the first one I wanted to talk about, um, which for me felt like it definitely is more a game that is bringing in natural spaces for some mechanic, like game mechanics metaphors, mm-hmm. um, but also just for the aesthetics was Breath of the Wild. Oh, yeah, like sure. a lot of Zelda games too, mm-hmm. you know, but yeah. just like being out in the space and moving around. Yeah. But also the, the, the nature in that game is so it's compared to the sort of ruined kingdom of it all. Mm-hmm. Right. It's it's in some places you see nature overrunning ruins. 
And the whole story is about the hundred years ago mm-hmm. sort of empire that fell. Um, but also so much of it is like this idea of like how buildings, how man-made objects live in nature. Yeah. And, and as you move in and out of that, mm-hmm. um, which is something that other games that have like tons of like wildlife to run through, that's never top of mind when you play because they're more just about that experience. Yeah. But everything in Breath of the Wild is about this the society that used to be among this and now there's less of it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And sometimes like the unnatural things, like you're, you're running around in this great natural space and all of a sudden there's a guardian there and it's very jarring and it's holy crap. And yeah. 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 Then you're dead. Um, (laughs) but, or you have a fast horse. Yeah. That's, that's (laughs) how I dealt with that problem. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I just like, I think like the aesthetic elements they chose to bring into the game, uh, that, that were inspired by nature were just so well done and really felt like you're running through the forest and you're trying to catch bugs and you're trying to pick up stuff, mm-hmm. make soup. And it just really felt like you're going through a real forest running along a path and like, oh, there's that thing. I yeah, it all I felt can... so real. It, yeah, it really did. Like, it wasn't like more graphically. I mean, it was gorgeous, the art direction yeah. especially. But yeah. like it wasn't that much a higher level in terms of its like competency and execution. It's just the whole package just made it feel more real. Yeah, yeah. I think it's like the density of things to look at. Like, because mm-hmm. you're walking through the forest and you're like, if I knew more about this forest, I might know whether I can eat that mushroom. Um, in yeah. Breath of the Wild, you're like, "Ooh, that is a mushroom I can pick up. If I if I can pick it up, I can use it. But what are what I can use it for?" And then, like three more steps later, you're like, "There's the thing. There's the thing." Mm-hmm. Um, and there's just like this this feeling of richness. There's so much to pay attention to. Yeah. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons why it it just feels very naturey. This this talk about like mechanics. Uh, the like nature as a mechanic sort of thing reminds me of this game that I saw um a month or two ago. It's like a Sim City esque game, mm-hmm. but instead of you like building buildings and making a bigger city, you're like this is like a desolate wasteland sort of thing, and machinery or whatever you use to put to build out your thing is like uncorrupts the land. Yeah, oh, you're cool. like putting out sprinklers, and then you see the. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't about, remember yeah. the name of the game. I'll yeah. find it. Like the. Um, there are some people trying to learn how to reclaim the Sahara. Yeah. Like greenify the Sahara because the Sahara desert is growing. Right. Yeah. It is. That yeah. is bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Pile that onto a bunch of other bad things that are happening. <laughs> and it would be great if we could like re-greenify like parts of the Sahara. So that kind of that kind of reminds me of that. Mm-hmm. But at least your description of it. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I saw that trailer and I was like, well, this just seems like a r- inverse metaphor. Like instead of residents moving into your sim city you see uh, uh, foxes and uh, you know and hummingbirds emerge yeah. from it like that's kind of just exactly the same mechanics but it's it is different yeah. like, that coat yeah. of paint matters it's theming a different is aesthetic yeah yeah, it's a different yeah, yeah. Aesthetic. and and uh, you know uh, i'm sure that game has its own unique mechanics related to that yeah. but even if it didn't mm-hmm. that would still be a unique expression mm-hmm. yeah right totally. yeah and that also kind of gets into like uh the things to me that were more like dynamicsy, right and so what I mean by Dan, I mean, we talk about dynamics. I bring up the MDA framework a lot. Um, <laughs> but for this one, it's like you're trying to, you're using the game to try to recreate dynamics that happen in nature. So for me, Simant. Oh, I yeah. love Simant. Ah. Um, but also like some of the survival games. So like, I'm not sure ah. so much about Ark. That seems to have more like fantastical science fiction elements, but like dinosaurs in it. (laughs) Yeah. Well, like compare that to Saurian, which is a game about dinosaurs that's trying to be scientifically accurate. Sure. Mm -hmm. Um, And we'll link to that in the show notes, of course. But like they're trying to recreate some of those um, natural dynamics that would have occurred in an ecosystem. So like you can prey upon other players and 
you know, something like that. Oh, I always wanted an MMO that was like that. I'm pretty sure you can. I haven't played it in a while. <laughs> I played it a little bit, but it's been through like a year of development since I the last had this, Yeah, I always had an idea where like you could just play as like different animals and you just do a whole bunch of. It was, it was, it was very ambitious. I was yeah. like, no, I'm never going to make this game. Well, check it out. Cool. Check it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to have to look into this. The last time. Last time I played, I was playing as a Velociraptor. No, a Utah Raptor. Um, which are the dinosaurs that are in Jurassic Park, actually. They just ah. didn't discover the dinosaur until after the show was already made or it was in progress. It's a really cool story. Anyway. Okay. And it's, I've got my feathers. Yeah. And like I use my wing, my little visti- like tiny wings to attack things. It's pretty cool. Cool. Mm-hmm. Um, started as a baby raptor and I had yeah. to get bigger. Ooh. That was neat. Okay. But like the long, dark, other things, survival games, I think try to capture like survival dynamics um in a natural sense yeah and then that's what the game is based around um the the one i'm thinking of that's sort of it's a we talked about on the show before is away the survival series which is a Hmm. it's a nature documentary in that there's a narrator a british narrator who speaks as you but you play as um a sugar glider and it's a sort of survival Mm. game but it's third person yeah and it's just presented very plainly like there's no like you, you just dropped into the world, uh, um, but but it's very much role playing in the sense like it's it's pretty, it's an action adventure game basically, mm-hmm. but like it's all the context is all sort of like a nature documentary, and okay. so it's 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 so you kind of as you play it, you kind of just feel like you're learning or like you know, uh, and it's all it's not exactly it's not it's not a master's course in the topic or anything, yeah, but like it's meant to feel. And it's meant to be realistic, and there's very little fantastical elements. Even though you have like hit points, and 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 you have, you know, there's enemies, and it's very it's very gamey in a lot mm-hmm. of ways. But like it's the way it's presented is like survival, um, kind of thing. And you don't play as a really like a very like you don't play as a tiger, right? You're, yeah, you're, you're a sugar glider. Yeah. yeah. And so it's it's kind of it the scope of it. It's like it immediately gets you into that position of like you're not there to dominate nature. You're not there to like you're not there as a special creature in this world. You're just in the world. You're yeah. just a small, cute thing that people want, like other critters want to eat. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yep. Yeah, that one's been a developer. I I played it at a at an event um, a year or two ago. Well, it was more than that. If <laughs> it was in the before times, <laughs> yeah. um, but it's not out yet, which is uh, I was really hoping it would be available by now. But um, but it's I I really loved it, um, and it has exactly that kind of just yeah, it really just puts you in there. Yeah. You know. Cool. Makes you feel independent of its sort of graphical presentation, right. which is great. Um, but there's more to it than that. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. And speaking of, I mean, the one of one of the games I'm going to mention in this next little chunk um, is supposed to be released this year, and that's Endling. Um, Endling, it looks real sad, you guys. You play like a mama fox. Oh no! You're the last mama fox. Oh no! <laughs> yeah, and I think that you know we were talking about. I talked earlier about reasons why game devs might decide to make a game about nature. Yeah, and we've talked about like borrowing mechanics and dynamics from nat- natural settings to you know drive the gameplay. Um, we've talked about like the aesthetics and using the natural aesthetic uh, as like the setting and the context for your game. And then there's like action and awareness. <laughs> yeah. Whereas like we are going to have you emotionally connect to this thing because we need you to do something in real life. <laughs> yeah, and a good and an easy way to do that, I think, for a lot of people is animals. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I'm sure I'll play that and it'll be real sad and I'll cry. Um, <laughs> yep. but that's kind of the only one I really had to mention. I'm sure there are other ones that are other games that have been made with this express purpose of saving the environment, like bringing environmental awareness and action. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just can't think of any off the top of my head. I feel like there's a lot of games that are like that, that are 
like like I I mean like uh, like the 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 narrative of the game is there's this corrupting force that's causing nature to you know be evil or bad or die or you know all yeah. that stuff yeah it tends to it tends to be fantasy elements yeah in, yeah. in those sorts of things and that always rubs me the wrong way mm. I feel like that it it removes it from the proper context in in a sense to like it's trying to be a metaphor in a lot of right. ways but sometimes it's just literal like there's like a there's a corrupting black goo or something yeah um i mean super mario sunshine oh is this yeah, right where it's like people don't really remember but it was like it was like sort of the sort of environmentally trendy late 90s kind of it was what 2002 or whatever but like that's that was born out of that idea of like the sort of captain planet kind of idea of uh, all these years later, does anybody remember that as a core message of Super Mario Sunshine? Like, no, I remember it was fun to jump around in that game. <laughs> That's all I remember. <laughs> um, yeah, but now that I mean, now that you bring up Captain Planet specifically, man, yeah. I never liked that cartoon. Yeah. And, and I think the reason for it is because, like, the whole the way that that message was presented mm-hmm. was like, this is the thing you should do. Like, we're this is the moral reasoning for this, and uh-huh. I'm like, and you're like, but what if I want a litter? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I'm preempting your argument. I don't know what you're getting at. Honestly, that's kind of where I was going. Yeah. And that's, I think, what I was trying to get at. I think, like, a lot of these games, like, the, the narrative is, like, this This is a corrupting force. This corrupting force is bad. You have to fight against the corrupting force mm-hmm. because it's causing a lot of bad things. From a moral standpoint, this is a bad thing because it's causing a lot of harm to all mm-hmm. of these things. Yeah. I guess this might be a little bit for straying from where the topic was you were talking about, Ellen. Sorry. No, go for um, it. Um, but, like, I think that, like, that perspective does not work it's a little, it's a little too easy it no it's not that it's too easy it's that it's not it's it, it it's because it's such a big topic it's such a big it's hard to it's hard to wrap your head around it from that kind of standpoint, yeah from a moral standpoint it's not yeah. a nuanced like, approach yes uh, uh, like objectively it is wrong to harm nature right i guess but like i think like if if you could think of it from like a, a practical standpoint trees are cool this is a yeah. cool thing like it's like being bad is bad. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like, it's like that, being that bad is bad. That, that like, doesn't tell you anything. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Like like Captain Panic. We already know we want to take care of the world or yeah. whatever. Like that's a good thing. We want to do that. I guess. Right. We but, don't have magic rings, and we can't take that da- personally. Take down an oil executive. <laughs> so what? What? <laughs> yes. What is the? What's the actionable thing mm-hmm. you can do yes. from this message? Yeah. yeah. And well, and and I think getting people to care about nature from like I, I boy, and it, it, I guess it totally tracks with how I am as a person. Mm-hmm. But like I think making people care about it mechanically is more at least would reach out to me a little bit mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah 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 um and so like i think about like like uh yeah i think you put on this list shelter and shelter too mm-hmm. i watched somebody play shelter a while ago and like that like i like that because like you you know you were trying to take care of your kids yeah and from that standpoint i can get it because i i kind of have a hard time connecting with animals personally oh uh, that's right yeah that's... i'm weird <laughs> i like I, I you know i think nature is important and i don't want you know it should just be polluting things just pollute things or anything like that i think it's important <laughs> you'll go that far <laughs> right we're, we're, we don't want shinra right yeah <laughs> but you're but you're not you don't care if you can pet the dog in the game yeah i definitely don't <laughs> i yeah. don't follow that you know there's a account. sort of a logical fallacy that sort of appeal to nature it's the idea that like nat- anything natural is good yes and i think that might you're sort of roundabout hitting that's on that. kind of what i'm trying to right. say which is I, really the true sort of the you know i mean there's debate i guess but the but the more correct more nuanced approach is the sort of like idea of like homeostasis with nature is like, better than just preferring good? nature over yeah, something yeah. else. Why is it good? Why should I care about this thing? You're right. Mm-hmm. Like it, <laughs> debate it me. Makes, <laughs> that's not what I want. <laughs> Don't debate me on it. Yeah. Like it, obviously it's important, but I want right. like 
It feels more like a slogan than a than a proof. Yes, I want I want to care about this thing. Why should I care about this thing? Sort of. Yeah. yeah. And it feels bad kind of to say that because it's like I don't know because I'm not trying to argue against yeah you know preserving nature. Yeah, no, I know I'm um, picking that up for me. Like mm-hmm. you're not saying chop out yeah. down the trees. Yeah. Well, there's one of those things you learn when you get a little older, which is like, oh yeah, nature living out in the middle of nowhere. That's that's the but we're, you know we're not going to do that. Like that's right. just too much, whatever. But it turns out the best way to live in harmony with nature is to live in the most densely populated city imaginable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's better than having a cabin in the woods. Yeah. Like having a cabin in the woods is a much greater carbon footprint mm-hmm. than living in an apartment building in New York City where there's not a, you know, a well, non-planned tree. We messed up for... this land, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> Just leave the rest of the land to everyone yeah. else. Right, yeah. right. And so, uh, I mean, my that my perspective is reflected in that that truth, but like yeah. that, that it makes those simple messages of like, mm-hmm. you know, like nature good you know, yeah. industry bad yeah. makes us like, well, okay, yeah, but what is the, what do you get from that? Like, what's the actions you take? What is the result that you want? And right. like, uh, yeah, just you know, yeah. the more trees is better. It's like, well, that's not a good enough answer really. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, then, and yeah, and, and games like try to deliver these messages sometimes as a background to what the stories are actually about. Yeah, that's true. Or as a setting for wh- where the stories take place. Yes. And so they just are incapable of the nuance. And 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 yeah, uh, fantasy games have this all the time, I think, where it's like this the idea of like uh, the magic of nature or whatever. It sometimes can give you the wrong impression. Yeah. And then it can make you feel powerless in your real life because you don't, you can't engage with it on those terms. And so then you're just like, well, I, I guess I can't make a difference or whatever. A game I think did a really good job of bringing up some of like the environmental awareness pieces but more in the background was firewatch yeah because it's firewatch it's right there in the name you are out there in the middle of nowhere and you are out there doing stuff with nature every day Mm because you're you know there as a fire ranger and you're walking around like learning this learning the the area around you and making sure people aren't you know littering too much it's but like because those are the goals that you have is like make sure you they these kids don't leave behind so many beer bottles like it's your job in the game but it also like you you feel protection over the space you know this mm-hmm. is the space has been given to you you're you're supposed to protect it for the period of time that the game lasts yeah. and so it it does put you in the role of steward um over this natural very very natural feeling space and i think that that emotional experience does a lot more to like maybe raise awareness of the responsibility each person has to the world around them mm-hmm. yeah. um, than like black goo creeping across the land that you've got to like kill the crystal to stop or something, you know, like, no, you're making progress. You're like, you're doing the thing you're, you're expected to do by picking up someone's bottles. Right. You know, you're just doing it. The change in scale and scope, right? Yeah. Like a, a game can make anything really important. Right. Yeah. Like a game can say can give you any task and, and then you have to complete that task to finish the level. Mm-hmm. So there's no reason it needs to be world ending. Yeah. Right? yeah. And so making it more a little more grounded. And, and, you know, Firewatch is a you know realistic drama, more or less. Mm-hmm. But like it doesn't have to be. It can still be fantastical in a sense, but mm-hmm. it doesn't. The scale doesn't have to be so large as to be unapproachable. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think the last one I listed down, um, which is really just kind of a left turn. Um, from what we've been talking about is Ori in the Blind Forest and of course the sequel um, Ori in the Will of the Wisps. I haven't played the sequel yet. I'll probably add it to my Twitter poll. Mm-hmm. Um, you guys can tell me if I should play that next. But to me, the storyline didn't feel too much like nature. But the I think there's maybe a 
thread of it in there of like preserving nature and keeping the forest. Yeah, there's a little bit of like the clean the, of the corrupt goo. Yeah, stuff cleaning that game. Yeah, cleaning of the corrupt goo, but mostly it's just like the aesthetic of it, like the mechanics platformer, like puzzle yeah. platformer all the way through. Yeah, the space you're in was, I think, really naturally derived. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it's got really good art direction. I think yeah. that the. I think my problem with that game's art direction mm-hmm. is this is the the way that it really um the sort of beautific angelic scenes are good and the dark spiky mm-hmm. bits are bad mm. that that feels a little fairy tale yeah. to me yeah, okay. but that's what it's going for like yeah. it's not a detriment exactly it's enchanted forest it's an yeah, enchanted yeah. forest story and so yeah. I didn't I didn't really take any dimension of sort of respect for nature to it cuz it just felt so kind of removed from that yeah it felt like fake yeah. like where you're in the Feywilds and you're a little critter. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, but you being a little critter though does feel like you're like, you are sort of one with the environment though. Yeah. It does a pretty good job of that. Yeah. I felt like environmental, but maybe not natural. I'm not sure. Maybe I don't have the language quite worked out yet, but I felt like it was, it warranted, you know, bringing this up in mm-hmm. terms of like the natural aesthetic and bringing it into the game. So yeah. Well, yeah. It, I mean, it really showcases that you can use this language to tell your story, whether your story is about nature or not. Right. You have this sort of, language of sort of of sort of natural representation that exists in culture so those people can identify but also you can use that language in t- in your own way maybe more uniquely um to tell your story it, whether it's about whether you, the point of it, it, it that you're trying to have a, a message about nature in your game yeah right it becomes a tool for you rather than a, a goal yeah right? like many ellen topics i didn't really have a thesis <laughs> just wanted to talk about it and see where it took us well, as designers, like, is that something we've thought about in any of our own work? Like, is there any examples we could think of where we brought it? Because for me, I don't think it has. No. And I, and, and I, I thought about it, like, it's like, oh, I, it's something I should consider. I hadn't really approached it. No, I don't think any of the games that I thought about would take place in a na- natural land. The the developer of Fingence, uh about, oh, man. <laughs> about fish underwater and how each level is called a biome. <laughs> yeah, okay. I forgot about Fingence. It's... Um. it's <laughs> That game is out now, so Steven's like, it's out of my mind. Yeah. But it's telling, right? Because it, it yeah. wasn't top of mind. It was more, it was the setting. It was the tool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, know, yeah, that's true. Story. Yeah, I didn't think about Fingers, but that's a good point. Like, it, yeah. you know, it does take place in, in the ocean. Yeah, I, I mean, I, yeah, I guess we, we we didn't, well, I think that was sort of relevant. Mm-hmm. Just like, we, we, it was supposed to take place in nature because the fish aren't supposed to be able to breathe in the water. That was the, the narrative conceit of the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even though that didn't end up, you know, really showing up in the in product. There was, I guess, there was a purpose for that. That was the reason why you, you were fighting against other fish. I think originally you were fighting against other fish because you were jealous because they could breathe underwater and you couldn't. Um, <laughs> that's why it's called getting vengeance on other fish. Like that, you know, it's not a very- <laughs> not the, quite the great message for kids. <laughs> yeah, I didn't think about that till now. Yeah. Um, it's fine. That ultimately isn't what the story is. Though. Yeah, it's not. Um, yeah, I don't know. I guess I didn't. Yeah, I didn't think about it in that way before. Mm-hmm. You're not necessarily fighting against nature, but you're fighting for it, sort of. Yeah, like the like a lot of the bosses are like big metal contraptions. Yes, they are. Yeah, yeah. that was intentional. And like you know, yeah, yeah, that's a good. Hmm. And like a lot of the like originally the dolphins were supposed to be the main villains, and mm-hmm. they uh you know are industrializing the ocean. Mm-hmm. you know to the detriment and the, basically they just went rampant on yeah. it like they were fine i guess keeping to dolphin city um <laughs> but you know now they you know they want more they yeah. want more land 
Huh. Seems like a metaphor. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it was definitely a metaphor. <laughs> I didn't think of it as a metaphor for nature. Yeah. Was uh, this, so was this something that, that the, the team ever discussed in these terms? Or was it more just that you sort of came up with it and then moved forward? Hmm. Uh, it sounds like it's the latter. Because really, that game is more mechanically interesting yeah. than narratively interesting. Well, right? yes. That's um, by design. Yeah, yeah we, I mean, we came up with it and we never really put in a lot of these, you know, the narrative. We, I mean, we, there was some thought put into it. I mean, yeah. it's like, you know, a lot of the designs of the enemies you fight have that kind of thing. Yeah, like, there's stuff strapped to fish. <laughs> the thing you know? about Fingence is that there's so little story in Fingence, yeah. but you cannot play the game and not assume there's a lot of story in Fingence. Yeah. Like, it does seem like it all is considered, whether you thought of it or not, it does feel like you you notice a ton of things and it all sort of hangs together really well yep. in a way that's probably like, I mean, you guys just did a really good job of that, but it's probably telling that you just sort of had like a mode, you sort of had to figure it out and then you just sort of applied that to everything. There's yeah. a much greater world implied by what you see in Fingence that you guys didn't write. Yes. But is but it's it's all there to be written if you choose, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. Dang, I didn't even think about that. Vengeance yeah. being nature. Surprise nature. Yeah. It's, it is, <laughs> Surprise nature. It, it is interesting because I approach every project in a way where like I can't let any of that stuff go. Like it has to all go in my private notes. Yeah. Like I can't leave any of those questions unanswered. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, we've probably got notes sitting yeah. here and there and whereabouts. <laughs> yeah. Probably where the over. Steam controller is. <laughs> <laughs> That's a Patreon. Um, <laughs> jump by so Oh, yeah. right. Yeah. Right. To understand that joke, check out our Patreon. Hey, that's our show. Check out our website, nicegames.club, for show notes and links to resources on today's topics. We want to hear your thoughts about this episode and our programming in general. To do that, go to nicegames.club slash feedback and tell us what you think. You can also get in touch with us on Twitter, at NiceGamesClub, where Dale tweets about game dev resources and building small things. Or you can email us, contact at nicegames.club. Want to support the show? There are so many ways. You can give us a review in your favorite podcast app, uh, tell your friends about your favorite episodes. You can join us on Discord by visiting nicegames.club slash Discord, and we are on Patreon. As a patron of the show, you'll enjoy bonus content, like the bonus content we recorded today, uh, extra jokes, and a whole lot more. Sign up at patreon.com slash nicegamesclub. So, until we start again, remember to play nice and make nice. But you yeah. say debate, but I'm very comfortable with how much I think Minneapolis is better than St. Paul. There's nothing will change my mind on that. I'm very comfortable, like, <laughs> discussing objectively these rankings. Where I was like, yes, it looks like St. Paul is ranked and this thing is a better. Doesn't change my mind. How, how do you sap the fun out of competition every time? <laughs> well, I, I, said, I said debate because yelling doesn't seem like something people will stick around. Yeah, maybe. Maybe actually. Now that I say it out loud. I'm on this podcast, Ellen. <laughs> That's all I do is yell. <laughs> Speaking of yelling, Summer Games the quick. Hey! <laughs> they yell a lot in that. Yeah. <laughs>
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.